0: Here's what I want to do. I want to kind of go into a part two of last week's Welcome Home. And I want to look at the story of the prodigal son and the father and this other brother from a totally different angle. I want to look at it. We're still talking about home because uh, we, we want this house to be more than just a house. We want this to be a home. But there's some truths that are locked into this story in Luke chapter 15. So we're going to read the beginning and we're going to read toward the end of this parable that Jesus tells and we're going to deal with and talk about these interactions that one, the younger brother has with the father, and then the older brother has at the end of the parable with the father. So if you have your Bibles, we also have it on the screen Luke chapter 15 and 12, and here it goes. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together, all that he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth with wild living. And after he had spent everything, uh, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be a need. Stop. We'll stop there. We won't talk about the transition of heart, the metanoia, the repentance, the coming to himself, the going back. But then we get to this moment where he's like, I got to go home, and we're going to see a father's heart, and then we're going to see an older son or the older brother's heart revealed in this passage. So in verse 21, it says, The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the robe, put it on him, put the ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet. So there's total restoration, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. It's Thanksgiving. We're going to eat pie. We're going to have a blast for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost. He's found. So they began to celebrate. Now here it is. Meanwhile, so while that is happening, while Celebrations going on while the church is uh, elated in this moment. The son is back. Meanwhile, we have here the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he, w- he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out. And pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. Heavenly Father, we open wide our hearts to receive your word today. Let your word fall into good ground and bring forth much fruit. Let the living word teach the written word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. All right, this is the the key to the context of this passage. And pretty much any New Testament passage, if we want to understand the interworkings of Jesus's dialogue and teaching, especially as he teaches about the kingdom of God, one of the most important things that you and I have to understand is the Bible that we read, that we love, that we just read, is not a religious book. And this is where a lot of people get get it wrong. They think that the Bible is just kind of like, here's how I'm a here's how I become a better person if I read this. You know, if I read a couple chapters every day, I'll be a better person and I'll I'll be able to live life to the fullest. But here's the real intent of your bible the bible is called a testament in fact there's two testaments and a testament is a will so this bible that we read hopefully daily is not a religious book per se but is actually a it is a book of laws it's a book that governs the way that heaven and earth interact in fact we call it a will and testament it is a book that tells us what God's plan is for our lives. So the book is not about a king and his servants. The book is about a king and his children. And so when you understand the context of the Bible, it is showing us how to interact with God our Father and how to step into the inheritance that God has planned for us. And what we find as we read this story is both brothers are missing it. Like the whole house is messed up. We got young brothers who are taking the inheritance and running off. We have another brother who's in the house who's not possessing his inheritance. He's there. He's just glad to be there. He feels like, man, I've been a slave. I've been serving here. But he hasn't stepped into the sonship of taking and possessing his inheritance. And there's two kind of Christians that that exist. There's the younger brother and there's the older brother. And the Bible has been given to us so we can understand the legal documents of heaven, of what God has procured for us, and what he has intended for our lives, and the inheritance that's been endowed to us. And so there's a lot of misfires here. It's like the, the guy who walks up and says, hey, let's go play football. You know, a guy from uh, Latin America, let's go play football. The guy goes, I don't want to play football. Let's go play soccer. No, let's play football. No, soccer. Like, we're, we're, we're missing it, right? The other day, uh, I... I one of my favorite restaurants in the Bay Area is on Ringstorf. It's called La Bamba, and it's, I mean, it, it's got these tacos that will make you sing. You, you start levitating when you eat it, and it's just amazing. And so I was talking to a guy who lives in Mountain View, and I said, hey, look, the best place in Mountain View, have you been to La Bamba's in on Ringstorf? And he's like, uh, no, but there's a place on Ringstorf that's amazing. It's a Salvadorian restaurant. And it's off the charts it is the best i was like no i mean look at me you know uh i know what's the best food in mountain view and uh and so we got in this little dispute a healthy godly argument about the best mexican burrito taco place in mountain view and the bay area as far as i'm concerned and so the other day i pulled up there and guess what it was la Bamba's salvadorian taqueria we were both competing for the same thing and didn't even realize it. We were both right. High five you and me, all right? So <laughs> there's a lot of misfires going on in the house. Everyone's missing it. They're not getting the intent of the father, the goodness of the father. So what I want to do is I want to kind of break down some of the fundamental issues that they both had, and then I want to break down their issue individually, younger son then older son. The first issue is, is they have this mindset that Everything that they're getting, everything that they deserve is based on wages. This is what they keep going back to. It's what we've earned. It's how hard we've worked. The prodigal says, if I can go back, I'll just be a servant. I'll work off my debt. And you'll you'll never be able to work off your debt. It's going to be the goodness of God that acquits us, right? It's going to be the goodness of God that goes, you have been expunged. Thank the Lord, because it would take me eons and eons to pay back. Some of us more than others to pay back the debt of our lives that we have, in, you know, what we have sinned and transgressed against God. But this was their mindset. They weren't thinking inheritance. They were thinking wages. And this is the wrong way to approach God. Wages are earned. Inheritance is received. Wages are something that you perform for. But inheritance is all about who you are. Wages, wages are about how good are you doing. But inheritance is all about a relationship. I'll give you an example. My my wife and I both went to college at the same time. She went to Santa Clara University. I went to Texas Bible College. Some people call it Texas Bridal College, but that's another story. And so we we both went at the same time, didn't know each other at that time. And so I was the wage guy. She was the inheritance gal, okay? I was the guy who went to Bible College, you know, worked through. I had two jobs, TI Energy Services. I also did valet parking. Working, I was, fr- I was eating Bisquick and Top Ramen, that was my diet, alright? You wonder why I walk with a limp, that is why. Something's in that Bisquick, I'm not sure what it is. Just <clears throat> but my wife, she, her grandmother says, look, here's the deal, if you want to go to college, I will pay for it. Not, and she offered this to all the grandkids, not all the grandkids took her up on it, but Heidi was like, I, I want my inheritance, I would like to do it. So while I'm eating Bisquick, she's on a grassy knoll reading Jane Austen getting an English degree from Santa Clara University inheritance versus, right? That's how it works. <laughs> and, and so uh, when you when you bring the mindset of I earned this, I deserve this, it complicates everything about the kingdom of God. Oh, yeah. And there's so many people who they're still doing it. I've been in church a long time or I'm new. I want to I want to work my way into favor. Look, you can't you can't work your way into favor. We don't fight for favor. We fight From favor, we don't fight for victory. We're fighting from victory. Victory has already been imputed. Righteousness has already been imputed. We're standing in that promise and operating out of that, and that is the faith of the kingdom, and that is the inheritance that you and I have received. And so, if we were to do the you what you deserve, then when the prodigal son came home, then the father would have done what I would have done if my son had taken a third of the possession and squandered it. I would have been like, "We're having a party." We're going to be dancing, and you're going to sit right there, and you're going to eat porridge while we eat the fatted calf. You're going to watch us party because you need to pay for what you've done. And then I'd be like all night lying, like, what, what, what? Don't get up. Don't get up. That's how I would be. You don't deserve this. That's not how the kingdom works. That's not how God's house works. Aren't you thankful for that? The moment you think you earned it, deserve it, you you know what I mean? You worked, I worked for this. No, you didn't. We're not saved by works. Actually, we are saved by works. We're saved by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the only work that we can look to. We look to that brazen serpent. We look to that cross and find hope and salvation. Aren't you thankful that it's not about wages and earnings and performance, but it is about an inheritance That God wants to give his people. Grace, I love this definition. It's when an undeserved person receives from an unobligated giver, an unbelievable gift. That is what grace is. And that's what should be in God's house. We should be able to step into a place realizing, hey, I was far from God. I made mistakes. I messed up. Uh, You know, some things that I've revealed, some things I haven't revealed, and that's still working through, da-da-da-da. We're all saved by his amazing grace. The best way I can describe grace is those watering, those, those, those coloring books that just add water, right? We got these for uh, our kids when they were like three, four, and five because we didn't trust them with paint. So it's like you dip your brush in water and you just put the, apply the water and the color comes through the page, right? And they're like, look what I did, look what I did. And what they don't realize is just add water. And really, <laughs> most of us, I know for me for a fact, it was just add water. Like the Lord says, just like, add water. And when I added water, like all this wonderful things that God did, that's what grace is. Like you have to draw between the lines. You got to make sure that you stay perfect. No, no, no. I just added water and said, Father, I'm doing the best that I can. And all of a sudden, this beautiful picture of grace is I'm trusting him. I'm not working for it. I'm trusting him. This is the Father's heart, and this is his plan. So here's what I want to do. I want to kind of break down these two sons because there's a good chance that you and I, we fall into one of these categories. And if we can identify that, that's a really good thing. And I love how Jesus and the Bible gives us so much contrast, like all through the scriptures. Like, like even the cross, the thief on the cross, you have one that's like, no, you, no, you either fix this or you're not who you say you are. Or the other is like, we deserve what we're getting. And you see a contrast of response and pain. I, I, I love how Jesus creates that contrast. And what he's doing here is he's giving us two sons who are doing it wrong. Two sons, not, not, not slaves, not servants, two sons, two of God's children, two people that belong to God who are doing it wrong. And here's the first one. It is the prodigal, the youngest. He goes, I want what I, what I deserve. And instead of going, hey, I want my inheritance and staying in the house and wa- walking this out with the father and enjoying the inheritance with his father, he believes a lie and he steps out of the house. Because here's what you got to understand. Every sin, if you boil it down, it goes back to a lie. Every sin that you have committed or ever will commit, at the root of every single sin, there is a lie to be believed. It's because you believe something that was not true, your heart embraced it, it is the response to that untruth, that, that thing that is not true, that is not from God, that will cause you to step into an action that violates God's character. For instance, here's a couple that, that, that come to mind. People think in the line, to really enjoy life, you have to leave the author of life. If I'm going to enjoy my life, I've got to get out of Dodge. I want to get what's mine. I wanna, I'm feeling better. I'm doing better. Now I'm going to look outside the house and maybe life will be better without the author of life. Or to really enjoy a qualitative life requires distance from God, right? Right? Like there's this whole notion, like in the world, like oh you want you're, oh you're a Christian, you have a boring life, right? Like oh oh I'm so sorry, you're a Christian, you must, like you're watch, oh you don't have Netflix, you watch Pureflix all the time, right? Okay, you got a pocket protector, big Bible, your back's hurting because you can't carry the book, right? It's so big, like that's the mindset that somehow to have an enjoyable qualitative life, I've got to escape my father's. Uh, regime and home, or the further and further I run from God, the easier and easier it will be. It'll be easy. if If I can get out of here, if I can just get out of all this, it's so restricting, it'll be easier. And what he realizes very quickly is it got harder and harder and harder and famine came and he finds himself in a pigsty and he finds himself like attached to a citizen of a country that did not care for his needs. The guy's like, fine, fine, you can stay here, but you're sleeping with the pigs, you're working in the pigsty. And, and, and that love wasn't there. That expression wasn't there. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens in the house before it happens out of the house. Like this change of heart happens in the house, and there's a couple steps. I'm going to give you ten of them, five that are in the house and then five that happen outside of the house. Number one is failure to respond to the presence and the goodness of God. We, we, we stop responding to him. Number two is forgetfulness. We forget what he's done for us. We forget what he brought us from. Ingratitude insensitivity and lack of brokenness number five we take for granted spiritual gifts leaders and authority we take for granted all those things that god has placed in our life that commitment those connections et cetera, et cetera. and then all of a sudden we step out that that's what begins to happen in us and then we step out and then five other things happen we start giving ourselves liberty that we know are wrong right we start giving ourselves liberty this is the prodigal son who has it all? He goes, I, I want it. And now he's taking it his inheritance, and he's walking it out of the Father's house, out of the Father's covering, out of the kingdom. And he's trying to be successful, and he's a fish out of water. And then the next thing is a critical spirit comes, failure to recognize temptation. Number nine, sinning without feeling conviction. And then ten, boasting about transgressions. This is the process from a, from a heart that's after the Father to a heart that is hard toward God, and you know this, and I know this, that sin has a diminishing return, that to get the same out of it that you started with, you have to put more into it, it requires more and more to get that fix, or to get that, to, to, to feel that, that titillation, you gotta you got invest more, it's gonna cost you more, and here's what, here's what Jonathan Edwards, who was a Puritan in the 1700s, he was a, a, quite a preacher, in fact, if you were to read the first part of every one of his sermons, pretty much scare you to death, like, you read it it's like oh wow this is scary like he like comes with the judgment the heavy hand and then he brings the message of hope at the end Jonathan Edwards one of his sermons was called true grace distinguished from the experience of devils true grace distinguished from the experience of devils and he talked about James chapter 2 and 19 that even the devils believe in one god and tremble and he talks about in his sermon this is essentially what he says he goes look good theology is good there's no like we got to have good theology but he says theology in and of itself does not save he says there's this in his sermon he basically says this that there's nobody who went to a better seminary than the angels in heaven who fell with lucifer right. they were there they were there at the foundations they saw creation they know there's one god one authority but theology wasn't enough because it was never about head problems it was always a heart problem right. the issue will always be the heart and people, they succumb to the idea, if I just knew more about the Bible, and I, again, we're all about, like, discipleship is leaning into God's words, and we've got to continue his word to be his disciples. I'm all for that, and I, I'm, I'm not disparaging that. But what I am saying is this, it starts with the heart. Somewhere in your heart, you've got to get back to the Father's heart. If my heart is not connected with my Father's heart, guess what? You can have theology all day long, and what we'll end up getting to is dumb dichotomies in the church. That's what happens. We become too smart, all head, no heart. And then we're debating things like, like, is it well-planned or spirit-led? Is the church grace or is it truth? Is it evangelism or discipleship? And these are called dumb dichotomies because it's like, we're both. We can be all about evangelism and discipleship. In fact, the road to discipleship is the work of evangelism. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. Like in the making of you is getting out of yourself and serving someone else. So the church is really good at creating dumb dichotomies going, which camp are you in? Are you, are you the faith camp, prosperity camp, grace camp? What? No, I'm, I'm all the Bible. I'm all in for all of it. Don't create dumb dichotomies. But that's what, when you lose the heart of the Father, that's where you get. It's like, young son, old son, how much, how much, how much time have you spent? And, and that's where we end up. I love, I love this statement, and I hope you can capture it. I hope your heart can just grab it. The mark of a Christian is not how well you do, but what you do when you're not doing well. The mark of a Christian is not how well you do, but it's what you do when you're not doing well. That is the mark of a Christian. And I'll tell you what this young man did in all of his idiosyncrasies and failures he had one thing that was rock solid. He knew where to run. He knew where I don't belong here. I got to get back. So what do you do when you've done all the wrong things? Run back to the Father's heart. Run back to the Father's house. Get back home. Can I get a good amen from anybody in the house? Let me, let me give you a story that helps. This is why the law is important. This is why God gave us the law. Like, you, we, people try to bypass the law, but the, the law gives us a perspective. It actually brings us to Christ. It's a guardian. It's a tutor. It's a schoolmaster. It, it brings us to Christ. The best way to explain this is the story of a little boy and the little girl, brother and sister, and the brother gets this vase, and he and accidentally drops it, and he's so afraid because he knows his dad, like, this was something special to his parents, and so he hides it, and the sister's in the corner watching. She goes... Hey, I just saw all that. She said, I'm going go to go, go tell mom and dad. He said, you better not. She goes, I'll tell you what. I won't say anything if you'll do my chores. And you'll play dolls with me. And gave this long list. And so after a couple days, he's, you know, he's doing the dishes, he's doing the chores for her, he's playing dolls with her, he's like, Wah, and, and all, and, and finally she's getting stricter and stricter and tighter and tighter and she's like getting real particular and giving him more and he can't do it. Finally, he's like, I am done, I don't even care anymore. He goes to his parents and says, Mom, Dad, I broke the base. And Mom and Dad said, we know, we, we saw, we were looking through the window. <laughs> but it took the law, it took the little sister To get him to go to mom and dad to confess. And the one thing we cannot lose is the sense. That thing that keeps prodding us and stirring us and telling us we're off. We're off. I I don't know. I just know that something's not right. And let me just tell you, until you walk in the inheritance that you were called in, there will always be a hole in your soul. I see Christians all the time that just, there's a huge hole, a gap, a hole in their soul because they're not walking in the intended purposes that God intended for their lives. They're living below. They're not living at the high altitude of that calling, but they're living a low life with a high calling. And so that's exactly what the prodigal did. And so here's what you got to make up in your mind. Am I going to round my life up or am I going to round my life down? And we do this all the time. My kids, um, they're sticklers. The other day, my wife, we were in the car, and it was like 1257. And, and Heidi was like, hey, so we got to get there. It's already 1 o'clock. And, that, and, and the, my kids are so literal now, you know. I guess when they cross, like, the 11-year-old mark, like, you become, like, super literal. They're like, it's not 1. It's 1257. Like, mom, the Bible says, don't lie. You know, we had this whole conversation. We round up, we round, and you do, I mean, I do this, you know, I mean, people say, hey, you know, how tall are you? And I'm like, I'm not going to be like 5'10 and three-fourths, that's silly, right? I'm like, 6'1, dude, you know, <laughs> round up. I'm just going to round up, it just sounds so ostentatious to say 5'10 and three-fourths. Or how much do you bench press? I'm not going to be like two plates, 135, I'm going to be like... Round it up, 2.15, two you know, just you round it up. Or when it's a convenient, you round it down. I'm not going to tell you I weigh 2.13 and a half. <laughs> round it down to 2. I'm around, you know, around 200, hallelujah, amen. Pray for me during Thanksgiving. But nonetheless, we ra- so here's the question you got to ask. Are you rounding your life up to the Father or down to the world? How, like, when... When you see your life as a son, are you rounding your life up to the call that God has on you? Are you going to the low denominator? It's called a significant figure is the term in math. Find a significant figure. I'm going to tell you, you and I are not the significant figure. He is the significant figure. And we got to round our life back up to to the Father above. Amen? So let's talk about this for just a moment. Let's talk about the other son because this is one that I see is, this, is, this could be, at least in North America, like the issue. Like when you, we think about inheritance, I, I think like living below, like, like so many people in faith are living below what God has called them to live. And it, let, let, me, let me quantify this for just a moment. When you were born again, okay? When the Spirit came into your life and made you alive, okay, your whole world changed. The Bible says we can't even see the kingdom without the Spirit. But when the Spirit comes, all of a sudden you are awakened to a kingdom and a king you didn't know. So by that, you have this inheritance. I want to give you Ephesians chapter 1 and 17 through 23. It's it's a couple verses, but just bear with me, okay? I keep asking the god of our lord jesus the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better that's where it starts can i just tell you you'll never know your inheritance outside of knowing him and this is what the prodigal did he wanted to know he wanted his inheritance without a relationship with the father and this is the son the older son, he, he, he's in the father's house, but he doesn't have the father's heart. Same kind of issue. So you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power. That means it's unmeasurable. Like, everything can be measured, right? We can measure distance and weight. We can measure, there's a way to measure the air inside of this room. We can measure atoms, elements. He says, but all of this goodness in God is immeasurable. It can't be measured. Like, like there's even a scripture that says, like, for the ages to come that he may show his love for you. Like, it's going to take ages and eons and eternity for God to just keep billowing out how much like how much he loves you. That's pretty awesome. And then it just goes on like this. It says, the power is in the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand on the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. That means the inheritance is is an inheritance of authority. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He is filling the world, the universe, through the promises, through his church. See, when God gave a promise and inheritance to Abraham and Romans, I believe it's chapter 4, verse 13, 12 or 13. He really, in, what Abraham really inherited was not a land, but it was all creation under God. He's like, all this, like, faith unlocks everything. Like, what is Christ is yours. Like, everything. And so the question I have to ask is, like, are we living like God's children who are going to inherit all the kingdom? Complaining, broken, sick. Now, I'm going to quantify this, but I believe that part of our inheritance is the blessing, the strength, the virtue to make God's children alive in the earth, doing well, overflowing. I'm not talking about a cheap, plasticky, prosperity gospel. I'm talking about walking in the peace of God, Healing virtue, laying on of hands, speaking, deliverance. I just believe that we've been living below our means, and God wants the inheritance to break out on the church, and the church go. I'll take it, and you know what? I'll take it, and I'll stay. I'll get planted in God's house, and I want to access all of his treasures. I want to have the right heart. I love the story of, of, of what Michelangelo he, he, got, he put together the, the sculpture. He, he, he sculpted the sculpture of David. Maybe some of you have seen the picture. Uh, my wife and I had the privilege years ago to, to go to, um, um, not Venice, but Florence, Italy. Yeah, thank you, Florence. And we were at the Galleria, the uh, Academia. And, and, and what's interesting about this, this Galleria is that Michelangelo references Many of the pieces of art that were unfinished. It was it was uh, Pope it was uh, Pope Julius the Second, who they were working on putting together all of these beautiful statues. But they he died early and they were unfinished. So you can go there and there's hundreds of statues that are just like an ear and a side of a face or a hand that was started and they were never done. And this is what it's called. This is what Michelangelo called it. He called it non finete, the unfinished ones. He called them the captive ones. When he was creating David, making David, he said, David was in the stone. I just had to chip away the wrong pieces that were attached to him. Wow. And what I want you to understand is this, is some of us are in an iteration right now. The Bible says we're becoming sons. We're stepping into true sonship, fullness of Christ. And there's a chipping away, and one of the things my heart doesn't want to see for your life is for you to be half finished. For you to step into half an inheritance, a half a formation. God wants you to step fully into all of his promises. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, the only place where it tells us, like, be afraid, is be afraid not to take and possess all the promises that God has. Let us fear, lest a promise being left of us and us not entering in. To possess an inheritance. It's yours. Take it. I call that inheritance down. Inheritance in my family. The inheritance of sonship. The inheritance of authority. We're taking our families back. We're taking our prayer back. We're taking our churches back. We're taking our faith back. Like, we don't have to be afraid. We're not paupers. We're not slaves. We're not servants. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. And this book gives us access to the inheritance and says, what is in heaven? Be in earth. Right? Give it to us, Lord. Is there peace in heaven? Yes. Bring it down on earth. Is there hope? Yes. Is there love? Yes. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We've been called to access our Inheritance. You know what I love about Jesus is Jesus is like he's fast and furious. Like if you read Mark chapter 1, he goes from like, hey guys, it's it's time to to follow me. And he doesn't tell them any other thing than just like follow me. And and they're just mesmerized. They're like dropping nets and following. Goes right into a, a synagogue in Capernaum and he starts preaching. Like, no like warm-up huddle. No, like, hey guys, here's what we're gonna do. Like, I'm gonna be doing some cool stuff. And what I just want you to do is watch. And if some devils get out of control, like here's like here's how to here's how to protect me. I just want you to get like your little entourage. No, he's like, hey guys, follow me. They're like, where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? He's like, I'm gonna teach a little bit. Huh? And as soon as Jesus starts teaching, there's like a devil, like, Ugh! you know, and Jesus is like, stop. And the devil's like, ooh. It would make the worst exorcism movie ever. It'd be like <laughs> devil comes up, stop, out, credits, done. It would be like literally 30 <laughs> seconds done. Jesus is like shit. And they're like what just happened? And he's like We're not even sure if we believe in you yet. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry about it. I want to I show you the inheritance. I want you to see the French benefits of being a part of this family. And I want, I want your eyes to be open to the inheritance. I want that prayer at Ephesians to be your prayer. God, awaken me the spirit of revelation and wisdom so I can see the inheritance of the saints. I'm so thankful. God is putting his heart beat in the church and in the church. There's a heart that says, number one, we exist for those who are not here yet, those who are all on their way home. But we also exist to live together under God's canopy, under his authority. Because when you get under what God has put over you, you can get over what God has put under you. When you're under his authority, you'll be over all other authorities. You'll be able to walk in the spirit and in the power of God. And so we come together together in his authority, and we're going to just enjoy, enjoy, enjoy all the benefits of the kingdom of God. Amen. Would you stand with me?